Thank you, worship team. That was great. Thanks, Mike. Here's a penetrating question for you this morning. What does God want from you? What does he expect? Do you know what that is? That's a question every person needs to answer. Because if there is a God, and I'm assuming you're open to the idea this morning, that you need to know what it is that God expects from you. And that knowledge would be very important for the way that you and I live. It would change the way you prepare your taxes. It changed the way that you look at websites that you might visit. The, the movies that you watch on Netflix, it could change that. It might change the way you drive. It might change the way you react to those who drive behind you, tailgating you too much. And I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying to Dave Wolf that I'm not pointing any fingers, but I'm just saying. Let me ask you again. Do you know what God wants from you? You need to know. You might be interested in that what Jesus said about what God wants from all of us more than anything else. Jesus once was asked straight up, um, of all the commandments from God, which is the most important? And that's not such an easy, answer, easy question to answer. The rabbis had debated it for centuries. So this one day, this guy with a PhD in religious study asked Jesus, Jesus, what's your take on that? What do you think is the most important command of them all? And Jesus answered them immediately. The most important command is, so let's all read this together out loud in unison. I'm sure you, you might know what it is after we read it together. The most important command is, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Do you know what God wants from you more than anything else? Now you know. Love. It all comes down to love. That's what God cares about. That's what's central. That is what he commands us to do. Love the Lord your God. It's a quote from Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And it's the focus of our four-week study that we embarked on last week entitled, How to Love God. Now, there's good news to that and there's bad news to that. The, the, the good news is that God has an equal opportunity for every one of us. It's something any one of us can do, no matter what your education, no matter how much money you have, no matter what you look like, no matter what you've gone through in the past. We can all please God because we can all love Him. Now the bad news. The bad news is we don't do it. Last week we saw we don't love Him with all our heart, because we have fragmented hearts, pockets of rebellion in our hearts, places that we don't reveal or open up to him, certain areas that we, we close out to God. Well, today we read we're to love God with all of our soul. Do you pray with your children? I hope that you do. I hope that one of your parents will pray with your child every night. So it's the last thing they think of before they go to sleep at night. That's what uh, my parents did to me. That's what I did with my 
boys when they were young. Um, but the prayer I prayed as a little kid, every night, I, um, it was rather vague. Um, it was rote, really. I think I shared it with you one other time. I, every night I would pray this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now what does that mean? I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But I, I used to think maybe God might drop it. Or lose it sometime. Would God give my soul away? Why am I asking him to keep it? Whatever it is, whatever it is we want God to keep, we're to give it all to him. So how do you love God with all your soul? That's what we want to discover this morning. And uh, first we're going to answer the question, what is the soul? And then second, what does it take to ensure that we love God with all of it? Okay, so let's start with a question. What is the soul? Let's just think about that word for a minute in the context of our world today. If you're, if you're from the South, you're very familiar with soul food. Soul food. If you like soul food, I love soul food. I think soul food is terrific. And the one thing about what makes soul food soul food is that, is that you just can't get enough of it. You want to eat and eat all, all of it. If you're going to pig out, if you're going to gorge, gorge on it, uh, soul food's the way to go. And too many of us do. And then there's, uh, you might be familiar with soul mate. Now, Governor Mark Sanford found his soul mate in Argentina, as you may recall. Uh, trouble is, he had to divorce his wife to live out that new discovery. And that was very sad. Or you might be familiar with soul music, you know, rhythm and blues, Motown. Uh, became very influential during the sometimes heightened and intensely uh, passionate civil rights movement. Now, what do all these things have in common? All of these have some emotional charge related to them. They all get down to the raw basics. Soul food, soul mate, soul music. They all touch the deepest emotions in some dramatic kind of way that feels good but may lead one to engage in activity that is not so God-honoring. Country music icon Merrill Haggard once died just last year. He had 38 of his albums appear on Billboard's country music top 10 charts. More than a dozen of them were number one. He also had 38 number one singles in his lifetime. Haggard also had five wives and spent time in San Quentin prison. Haggard once said this, There is a restlessness in my soul that I have never conquered, not with motion, marriages, or meaning. And it's still there to a degree. And it will be till the day I die. <laughs> so what is this restless soul of man that God demands through love? Let me give you three parts to a definition of the soul of man. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living soul. First then, to this definition, the soul is life. It's natural life. 
It is who you are. It's the essence of who you are. It is your self-concept. It's the real you. And the soul is what animates the body. Should the soul leave the body, the body will cease to live. And that's called death. If you've gone to a funeral of a loved one who lies in the casket lifeless, why are they lifeless? Because the true essence of who they are, their life, their soul, is gone. And the body is what remains there in the earth. And if you are a believer, you know that at the funeral, when you look into that casket, it's a shell of who they were. It is not them. That the body is mortal and it will go back to the dust from which it came, but the soul is life. And secondly, the soul is immortal. The true essence of who you are lives and it never stops living somewhere. The body will die, but our soul will live on forever. The Apostle Paul says to the believer who has placed their full trust in Jesus Christ that, quote, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we know that when we leave this physical form, this earthly tent of which our soul possesses, that our soul, our true essence and personhood will go immediately into the presence of the Lord. Our body, which is mortal, will go to dust. The soul lives on. The soul is life. The soul is immortal. Secondly and third, more perhaps importantly to the, as we consider our, our study here in Mark chapter 12 verse 30, the third part of this definition is that the soul is the seat of your emotions and will. The spirit and soul are two primary immaterial aspects that scripture ascribes to man. And this simple chart that I have for you might explain the differences. And a lot more can be said about both of these, believe me. And I'm not going to have time for that this morning. So just capsulize it this way. In natural man, that is one who is not trusted in Christ the Savior, the spirit is not alive, the spirit is dead. But at conversion, it is made alive and it is regenerated by God. The spirit of man is the sphere of activity where the Holy Spirit operates in regeneration and in worship and in communion with God. And it is the aspect of humanity that connects with God. It's what connects you with God, God who is spirit himself. Okay. The soul is the true essence of man. It is who you are, naturally. And it is a sphere of activity where Satan operates and makes his appeal to our affections and to our emotions. Satan knows full well that if he dominates, dominates the psychical or the soulish part of man, that soul, he's got you. Because the soul is the seat of passions and feelings and desires of the natural man. And Satan is satisfied if he can master those things. F.W. Grant has said this. This is a, this is a helpful uh, uh, statement. He said that the soul is the seat of the affections, right or wrong, of love, hate, lusts, and even the appetites of the body. So allow me to show you a few verses that bear this out, that the soul is the seat of our emotions, right or wrong. It was Hamer who said to Jacob, the soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Of David and Jonathan, it is written, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
these passages so that the soul can be the seed of our emotions, but that the soul loves, not only is it love, but it also hates. And we read those who are hated by David's soul. So it's the soul where these fleshly lusts and desires and appetites arise, sometimes to a fever pitch. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. So to bring it all back together, what is, what is the soul of man? It is your life. It's the real you. It's the essence of who you are. It's your self-concept. It is immortal, and it will live on forever. It is the seat of your emotions and affections and appetites, right or wrong. And it is where the battle takes place for determining whose will will win out, God or Satan. I'd like you to turn to, to Luke chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. It's on page 965, 965 in that white Bible on a seat very near you. And now that we've tried to define the soul, the question still remains, how can we learn to begin to, to love God with all of it? What does it take to ensure that we love God with all of it? To help answer that question, I want us to go to this parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 12, verses, beginning with verse 15. Okay? And he, Jesus, said to them, Take care. Take care. Take care now. Mm, it's a little bit stronger than that. King James Version translates this way. Take heed. Mm, listen up. Uh, the, the NIV says, watch out! <laughs> with an exclamation part, point. And the, and the NSAB, the New American Standard, says, beware! <laughs> oh, man. So you get the point? You know, take heed is a little soft there. And he's, Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Goodness, there's nothing new under the sun. These people had the same problem we have today. In our consumer impassioned world, we think that life is all about gathering things, stuff. The abundance of things. Life is... It's all about our homes that we live in. It's all about the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the, the monies that we've invested. It's all about possessions. And yet Jesus emphatically states, it is not about the abundance of things. And that you must take care that it isn't. And that you need to guard against all covetousness. All of it. All covetousness. When Jesus says in verse 15, one's life, you see it there, verse 15? Look, it's right there in your Bible. Look down, it's not up, it's down. In your Bible, see it there? It, it's the same meaning as soul. Our life, our soul, is not about the possessions we have. It's not about wanting and consuming and satisfying one's appetites, though it seems that way. But true life is much, much more. And, when, and then Jesus gives them this parable to explain to them why. What's a parable? A parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's all it is. So he tells them the story. He told them the parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. 
I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. Now, everything up to this point makes perfect sense. The man sowed bountifully, he reaped bountifully. God blessed him with an increase. There's nothing wrong with an increase. There's nothing wrong with having enough, or more than enough, or having plenty. So he has an abundant harvest. Hey, good for him. And so he says, I'm going to make room for my plenty. I'm going to tear down one barn, and I'm going to want to build bigger ones. And so what's wrong with that? Nothing. But the parable goes on. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, I like that. That's how I remember that verse. I say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Now there's a problem. The problem is not that he's rich and has plenty. It's not that he's been blessed abundantly. It is not that he tore down one barn to build another, to, a bigger one, to have enough for his storage. The problem was that he spoke to his soul about soulish things. His life was preoccupied with things and wants and appetites and accumulation and covetousness. And Jesus has already said that the soul or life does not consist of the abundance of what he possesses. And here's a man who has an abundance of things, but his life or soul is centered around the abundance of things that he possesses. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you prepared, whose will they be? Now we don't know when our soul will separate from the body. We don't know when we're going to die. You want to know time and place. But for the believer, the soul and the spirit will go to be forever with God. For the non-believer, the soul will be in hell awaiting final judgment. And I'm aware that in our day and age today, it's not very popular to talk about H-E double toothpick. But here's something to consider. Jesus said more about hell that he did about heaven. It's a subject and a reality that we cannot ignore, and we're not going to ignore it this morning. And I praise God personally that today I can tell you that I came to Christ as an eight-year-old boy, not because of heaven being such a wonderful place, but because of hell, and I didn't want to go there. And so I willingly and I gladly placed my trust in Jesus Christ, realizing he suffered on the cross for me. He died for my sins so that I would not have to die and get what I deserved. And I willingly received from him the free gift that he gave to me in grace, the free gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The greatest doubter will be convinced of eternal hell the very second after they die, having never trusted in Jesus Christ. One day, Jesus was talking to his disciples about what to fear. So they were all fearing the wrong things. They feared men. They'd been sent forth to speak, and, uh, and as they went out, they knew that the message they took wasn't going to be received well. They were going to be rejected, and they were going to reject them because of the message, and they were going to reject them and the message because they rejected Jesus. And so, so Jesus says to them, Do not fear. 
those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God says to every one of us this morning, fear God and know your soul is immortal. And that material part of you and me will live on for eternity in a place, one place or another. Your soul and regenerated spirit through Christ will go to be forever with God. Or your soul and dead spirit will go to hell forever, separated from the Lord. There's coming a night for every one of us when our soul will be required. I guarantee it. It happens to every one of us at some point. Where will you go? Why not settle that question today and turn your life over to Christ? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. How can you love God with all your soul? The first step is to give your soul, give your life, same thing, to Jesus. Surrender control of your life to God. The soul of man, that is his affections, his desires, they're never directed toward God until after the spirit has been regenerated, until after the spirit has been made alive. God can never, man can never love God nor the things of God until he's been born of God and born again. That's what Jesus said. When the Spirit of God illuminates the spirit of man and with divine light and divine life, it is then and only then that man then begins to yield his affections and his faculties to God. Virgin Mary said this, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. That's the King James. She could not exalt the Lord in her soul until she had recognized God in her spirit as her Savior. So trust Christ as Savior. And the spirit will be made alive in you and bring your spirit alive that you can exalt in his love. And it's all about love. His love for you. His gift for you of eternal life. The Savior of the world. So make him yours. That's why God sent him into the world. Because he loves you. So what does God require of you? To love him. To love him with all your heart and with all your soul. You cannot do that in your daily routine when you insulate and isolate yourself from God. You're fooling yourself. And you're deceiving yourself. You're like the rich man in the land of plenty. And all his life he's caught up in self and feeding self and his appetites and own cravings and own desires and all that the world has to offer. And it will never, ever satisfy. It will leave you restless like Merrill Haggard and too many others. How can you love God with all your soul? First, you surrender your life to Jesus. Second, for the believer, you stop speaking to your soul about soulish things. Guard against all covetousness. Take care. Take heed. Watch out. Beware. This rich man spoke of his soul. 
about soulish things. He said to his soul, Soul, relax. Eat, drink, be merry. I wonder what soulish things you might be speaking about to your own soul. I mean, what are your soulish wants and appetites and cravings that you keep telling yourself about? You know, when, when you're all by yourself. No one else around. Alone with your thoughts. Where do your passions go? Money? Power? Sex? Porn? Parties? Opiates? Your next high? Your next fix? Your next drink? Your next pleasure? Somebody else's wife? Somebody else's husband? Somebody else's lifestyle? More things? Bigger things? Better things? Things? What are you feeding your soul? With what are you feeding your soul? That is what Satan will use to make his appeal and to draw you in and take you down. This man's soul was about soulish things. The question, my brother or sister in Christ, is why isn't it more about heavenly things? Godly things. The word soul, we see in that word, the part of the will, choosing God or godly things. Psalm 62, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I will not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And Satan, or Isaiah was right when, when he spoke about the restless soul within man and its meaninglessness and its vanity and it, regarding life's pleasures. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And unfortunately, it's not only true about the unbelieving world, it's also true in a large portion of believers. Because some of you here today are not in a very good place. Could it be that you've allowed your soul to run wild without the guardrails? That you have fed your soul a steady diet of worldly pleasures and very little of heavenly ones. And because you cannot find rest, you need to turn back. Turn back. There's a familiar verse to the churched and the unchurched that David speaks of in Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. 
The Hebrew word translated restores means quite literally, turn back. And at no time had David lost his salvation, but there were times when his affections and his desires were turned away from the Lord, like sheep who go astray. Speaking to his soul the truth about who he is as part of the flock of God, David testified. He restores my soul. And so in an attempt this morning to help you become more fully committed follower of Christ, you and I need to turn more to God and away from worldly pleasures. And rather speaking lies to our soul about soulish things. Lies which come from Satan himself, the father of lies. We need to speak to our soul more about heavenly things and filling our life and our passions with God's precious word of truth. The words of life. The words for your soul. How do you love God with all your heart? You begin by giving your life to Jesus. And then you begin filling your soul with truth from the word of God. And the result will be that loving God more will turn your soul back to him. So don't isolate yourself from God's truth. Don't insulate yourself from God's word. But guard your soul against worldly passions and grow in your love for God and his word. Commit yourself to open his word this week, tonight, before you lay your head on that pillow. Make sure that you have opened his word to fill and restore your soul. Let's pray. Father, there is someone here today who does not know you as their Savior, and their heart is so restless, they cannot find peace. And I pray today, God, that you would lead them to trust you and surrender their life to you and to find that peace that they are so longing for. And Father, like all we like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way. We've each turned to our own way according to our own wants and pleasures. We've coveted things and spoken to our soul about things. And Satan has used that to draw our heart away from you. Forgive me of seeking after worldly pleasures. Today I turn my life back to you. I commit myself to reading your word and feeding on your word this week. And as I turn back to you, thank you for your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And may I grow to love you with all my soul. May all my affections and pleasures and desires, may they all be centered around you. My God. My Savior. For in you, and you only, will I trust. Amen.